ComC is your home to buy, sell, and flip all kinds of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 31 million cards, from baseball's biggest stars like Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts, to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man, Thor, and Captain America. ComC has something for every type of collector. Come visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Dollar box digging. That is how I spent my Saturday. There was a show in a town that was about 45 minutes away from where I live. It's, it's I think, the second time they've done this show, but it's the first time that I ever attended. And I decided to head up there on my Saturday morning and check this show out, and I am glad I did. I spent a couple hours digging through dollar boxes for some cards for my own PC and for some cards to flip to help cover the cost of those things that I wanted to keep. And, I, and I've had some success. I found about 20 Jordan Michael Jordan cards that I picked up for 50 cents a piece and I picked up I don't know I think it was like 47 or 48 other cards out of one of the dollar boxes and got a deal I think I ended up only paying about 60 cents a piece for them after all of that and I'm pretty happy with the results and I had a lot of fun uncovering some treasures. One of the things I love most is continuing my education in the hobby. There were a bunch of inserts from the 90s and early 2000s that I had never seen before. You go through these dollar boxes and you see cards that you've never seen before, brands or insert insert types, I guess, that you've never seen before. And I got to look them up and learn a little bit more about them and, and that was a lot of fun. So I had a great time doing that. The thing that impressed me the most was the energy in the room. This was a small-ish one-day show, um, it, large for a local show, but nothing like some of the big regional shows we see. But there was probably around 15 to 20 dealers, I would guess, and somewhere around 50 to 60 tables. But it was jam-packed and wall-to-wall people for most of the time that I was there. And that was just in a smaller town in central Illinois on a random Saturday. And so it was a lot of fun, a lot of people there, a lot of cards and cash changing hands. And the other thing that I ended up buying was a collection from somebody in the parking lot who was going around with a kind of mainly junk wax era collection. None of the dealers wanted it. And I mentioned, hey, I overheard that you might have a collection for sale. I'd be interested in taking a look. And we ended up working out a deal for that collection which I think will be will be okay for me as well, but gave me some fun things to go through. So that was how I spent my Saturday. Our guest today is Jason Durr. He is a card collector that currently lives overseas in the UK, and we're going to hear from him about what it's like trying to be a card collector overseas. Let's head to the conversation. Well, over the years, I've had a chance to bring on collectors from the US, from Canada, and even Australia but today we're going to add a new continent to the mix. Jason, he lives in the UK. He lives in Scotland and he is a proud card collector and he's going to come on and tell us what it's like being a tops collector, being a card collector, living in the UK. So Jason, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, so hello. Hello from Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, I've uh, I've been in Edinburgh for almost 20 years now, but I'm originally from Bellevue, Washington. Yes, an American living in Scotland. We first had a chance to meet at the National uh, last summer. Um, we have a, a mutual friend um, who we ended up having lunch together. And so, um, so it was great to get a chance to meet you then. And wanted to bring you on now a few months later just to see what things, how things are going. Um, but how was that trip for you? You know, the, the national wasn't the only thing that you were visiting when you were coming home and, and or coming back to the U.S. Um, last summer. So so what was that? What was that trip like? So it was really good for originally it was kind of a trip to go back home. So my girls that are 10 and eight uh, had never been to the U.S. yet. So we kind of had our first track home to see the family and hang out in there and they could see where I grew up. And then uh, with work, they let me work remotely uh, for a week and then go spend a week in Chicago, which was absolutely amazing. The national blew my mind. It it. it it blew away all expectations I had there. And uh, the fun thing for me was, again, like me and you, Mike, uh, that Lou Olson, who we as a mutual friend, let me stay with him and drove me back and forth to the National every day. And the amount of people that I had met through social media and actually meet them at the National uh, just, just made it that much more special to go kind of, you know, knowing what they collected and we all run around with them to see what they were. And uh, randomly, I met a guy who went to the same school as elementary school for me for two years, but was in the opposite class as me <laughs> because we had a random conversation uh, when I was out there. So, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Like, if you've not been to the National, absolutely, you need to go. Like, the, the cards were mind-blowing I, I you know didn't expect to see half the things i saw there yeah it was it was a ton of fun and and you know loser loser great guy and he and sean's hall of very good show is is a ton of, of fun to listen to as well they've got some great guests and so it was i love the fact that conversations like like this were made possible because of some of those mutual relationships because i had, was able to have both Lou and Sean on the show earlier. And so that's how that connection was made that then it ends up allowing us to meet and have that kind of, you know, that connection too. So that's one of the, the things I love most about this. Did you get a chance to go to any games or anything like that when you were back? I did. I went to three Mariners games and actually I threw out the first pitch for the Everett Aqua Sox. So um, I also run the Mariners UK account there. And um, uh, Harry Ford happens to be British American. And uh, uh, they saw that I was coming back home and I kind of tweeted at him to say, hey, I wasn't be back in the area. I didn't realize how close it was where my brother lived. And so uh, they had worked it out. So I got to meet Harry and shake his hand, take some photos and throw out for the first pitch of the game. And uh, yeah, then I even went down to the White Sox game there because I hadn't actually been down that way. And uh, I, the park was amazing. I, I, you know, had no expectations of how nice it was or that, but it was really, really nice. And because I was only by myself, I could buy one of those really nice tickets where I didn't have to pay for the family to go to a game. Uh, so yeah, I had a nice tickets behind first base that, so I could really watch the game and enjoy it. How did you end up becoming an American who lives in Scotland? Oh, gosh. So it was a two-week holiday that turned into 20 years. Um, so I was working in Seattle after finishing college. And uh, when the dot-com crashed, there was just no jobs left. So uh, about two years after the crash, I, I worked in the dot-com. So one of my uh, jobs, if you remember, the real player, 
uh, for real networks. Mm-hmm. And that was, so they had just won the account to MLB. And so my last job there before uh, my contract ran out is I used to listen to MLB games and make sure the feeds were working. And so what I would do is listen to a half an inning of a game. And then when it would go to commercial, I'd swap to another feed. And so my job was literally to come in at three o'clock in the afternoon and listen to baseball all night. <laughs> so it's fantastic. But yeah, it came to an end. Uh, I found myself doing like day day work in, a, in a, just the office and then night shift at the grocery store just to kind of make a lot of money and kind of figure out what was going out. Uh, I was a big Chemical Brothers fan and I knew they were playing a show out in England. So I uh, was like, all right, well, I'll take a two week break. And I had a French girl I knew online and it was a big fan too. And I knew she was unemployed. And I said, well, hey, why don't we get together and I can go tour around for two weeks and uh, I'll have someone to hang out with because, you know, no one's going to stop their working to go on a tour with me and see the UK. And so, yeah, so we met up and went all around England and Ireland. And uh, it was literally down to my last weekend there. And she was, I was trying to convince her to go to Paris so I wouldn't, you know, need a translator and I could be a dumb American and, and get by without having to do too much. And she's always said, well, let's let's go to Edinburgh. And I said, all right, well, there's some sort of castle and some sort of royal mile thing. And so we'll go for the weekend and then I'll go to Paris and then I'll come back to Seattle and figure out life and just end up falling in love with Edinburgh. It was just, you know, the architecture here, um, you know, it, it just mind blowing. This castle is so, so accessible and just fell in love with the place and just kind of literally just talked to the person at the hostel and said, where can I find work? And uh, they told me a bunch of places that would pay me cash in hand. And I went for lunch and came back and they asked if I actually wanted to work at the hostel. So within four hours of being in the city, I had a job and just winged it from there. Um, About a month later, I realized there was a a baseball team here. And I I assumed it was like back in the States. And so I was like, oh, maybe I can help out somehow. And found out it was just an amateur team. And uh, so my mom had to go to Target and buy me a glove and cleats and ship it in the mail because you can't get any kind of sporting equipment out here, especially a baseball equipment. And uh, yeah, so all of a sudden I had 15 friends automatically uh, that we could all relate to really quickly. And uh, it was great. And just it was it's such a cool city and just fell in love with it. Uh, Ended up meeting my wife and it's kind of like, well, I'm not missing anything back in the States. So let's kind of play this one out for a while. I've got a girlfriend. We'll see how far this goes. And uh, just, yeah, just kind of went, well, uh, you know, I've kind of started this life out here and I've got a girlfriend and we'll see what happens. And yeah, the rest is history. So that's, that's awesome. So let's take a step back and and talk, uh, talk a little bit about cards. When did you start collecting baseball cards? So I can distinctly start remembering uh, 1986 tops where my mom had somehow bought me the factory set uh, probably for Christmas. And so I can remember breaking the thing open and looking through all those cards. I know I I remember definitely having packs of cards from occasionally 81, 82. Definitely there was 83 tops were in there. Um, Yeah, 84, 85. But yeah, it was 86 tops is my really kind of like, okay, this is where I... I enjoy the fact of trying to get the set together and then building to 87 was when I probably really started buying cards and trying to put sets together there because I think it was probably the same time Costco started having boxes of cards. So I just buy, you know, the parents would be like, okay, you get a hot dog and a box of cards. If you can go around two hours in Costco with me. <laughs> yeah, that was 86 was the year I started too. And it was that, that late eighties, early nineties would we, we had Sam's club at the time we didn't have Costco, but yeah, when you could go in and, pallets of wax boxes and they were like 
$14 a piece, you know, or, you know, you could pretty much every, every time you went, you could talk the parents into getting you a, a box of cards. Cause it was, you know, less than $20. So it was, it was a great deal. Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I remember boxes of 88 dollars for like $8, you know, I remember going, all right, let's go there and, and get that there. So, uh, yeah. So original Costco is from the Seattle area. It's from actually yeah. where Kirkland is. So, yeah. So yep. we, we were shopping at the original Costco back when it first started. That's fantastic. And so then did you, you know, did you collect all the brands? Did you branch out into any other sports? You know, what, what did that look like, you know, as you were kind of progressing through the late eighties and early nineties? I was definitely a tops and Donner's guy. I, for some reason, Fleer was really hard to come by. It wasn't something that I could bet. Or, um, and I definitely, I remember 89 when Upper Deck finally came out there. And I remember going a dollar a pack. <laughs> I, I, that's expensive. I can buy two packs of tops for that. Um, and, and that was probably it. But it was probably, you know, around 88 89 was when i started going back and getting those cards like you know getting my you know uh, my 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 first big card i bought was the 86 flare uh jose canseco rookie <laughs> so i remember saving my, my 50 bucks up for that and going this is great there and then you know started kind of collecting the back sets and buying packs there um and then usually like i said buying stuff you get at costco then uh, for the next few years and, and and then obviously you know high school priorities change and uh, and just kind of stop collecting for a bit and then um, kick back up in 2001 when we had okay. the all-star game uh, in Seattle so I, I had volunteered for fan fest and um, walking around the, the center there uh, I was able to talk to various tops there there and funny enough I won a box of Bowman and each year a rookie out there from one of the, the prize giveaways there. So that kind of kicked it back up again. So my collection started after the next two years of buying stuff back in 2001, 2002, 2003, and then trying to go back and get all those cards that I had. You know, I, again, when, you know, McGuire and Sosa were having the home run chase, it was going back to the cards and going, all right, yeah. I've got a lot of money here. <laughs> yep. What's that? Um, what's that collection look like today? Are you you still actively? Are you still collecting the new stuff? Do you still primarily focus on you know the, the players from the past? You know what's what's that collection look like today? So I, it wasn't until Project Twenty Twenty came out. Uh, it really got me back into it again. So uh, my friend Graham, who's my co-host of Tea and Tops, he I, I had bought him a pack of. 87 tops when he came to our we had a traveling wedding party where we got married in vegas and then went to seattle and then went to toronto because we had another friend that lived in toronto and um i had bought him a pack in 2005 from the little card shop that was in the pike place um pike place market and they said this is what i grew up opening and that had all kind of had this low fire lit under him slowly and slowly and so he started collecting about 2015 and started doing breaks in the UK and kind of building things up there. And he's kind of like, you know, I need a new hobby. And I, you know, I really love baseball and this seems like a really easy way of doing it. And he's got bigger and bigger. And uh, so he'd always send me stuff there. He's like, yeah, I know you collected cards back in the eighties and nineties, you know, you know, if anything come across anything, he'd tell me anything what it's worth and whatnot. And, and, you know, I'd look at his cards and go, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, that's, um, you know, stuff like that. But then when the project 2020 came out, you know, that really kind of drew me in because I've really enjoyed those Dick Perez cards and those uh, Vernon Wells Jr. cards. And the, the, really, the art cards were really cool. And so 
when that started coming out, I was like, oh man, like I, I, I actually really enjoy collecting cards again. So, um, so from there, I just, you know, went to project 2020 and then project 70. Um, and I started collecting those cards there. Uh, I just really enjoyed the art for it there. And he, he does more of the modern stuff. And, and I kind of went with the, those cards for the moment. So, but collecting over here, it's extremely difficult. It's, it's not cheap and it's tough to get cards. Yeah, I was wondering about that. What is what is that environment like? I mean, when you want to collect, are there hobby shops over there that you're able to go to? Do you have to try to buy direct? I know in the over the last couple of years, there's been a couple different like Topps UK releases, but you know, were those just available in in re- retail environments over there? Or you know, what's that collecting environment look like? It's so it's extremely hard to get anything. So Tops UK, the ongoing joke is whenever they put anything baseball related, it got mixed in with the shipment from Tops, and they have a case of it and they have to sell it. So it's really baseball cards are pretty much non-existent there. Uh, Dave and Adams has opened up a, a store in the Netherlands, and when you're going to try to make a road trip out there this summer to go check it out and see what it's like. Um, but like baseball card wise, it's, it's, there's a small group of about 400 of us in the UK that kind of collect cards. And most of the group will, because it's so cost prohibitive for us. So the average UK salary is roughly $40,000. So, you know, when you see a funny stadium club came out yesterday, um, and people were saying, I think a box of stadium club is roughly about 120 pounds so like 150 bucks i believe and they're like nope i I don't have that kind of money to buy a box there so uh, you most of people will focus on teams or players and and buying the breaks that way uh, just as a cheaper alternative on there but the majority of the people out this way is obviously uh, soccer was obviously huge out that way and then uh, um nfl <laughs> okay i'm so a bit out of her song like american football um yeah, yeah. nfl cards are, are are the big deal there and then basketball cards are huge and uh, not so much in the uk but once you go into europe basketball cards are massive and then so it doesn't sound like there's a ton of hobby shops or or those types of things around um, is you know eBay buying direct from the manufacturer? Like what what are the primary places that people are going to get those? It sounds like breaks, maybe buying into some breaks, but ComC ships internationally. Like what are <laughs> yeah. what are some of those ways that that people are going about you know finding these cards? So there are various like lockers you can ship to, and so people will do that. So they'll buy their stuff off there, or they have a friend or family that they can ship it to there, and then have everything kind of. Uh, shipped over all at once and so they'll hold off for three or four months there so uh, a lot of people <clears throat> will buy the singles off ebay it's it's interesting thing because you'll get a card we'll, we'll say uh, i'm trying to think who would who is someone we would talk about there we'll, we'll see uh, jp crawford uh, jp autograph card one of one card maybe someone has there it was valued at 200 there you're going to get about 40 dollars for it here because again the market's not there you can put it on ebay and maybe you'll find an international seller that might want it but because it's so limited you'll never get full value for anything out there unless it's a a star player that somebody wants there um so yeah so a lot of people like um have friends and family when i was shipping stuff out every six weeks when i was doing the project 2020 uh i was running a, a vintage baseball jersey shop at the same time so i just kind of put everything in a box there um but yeah you know you have to declare everything fedex 
you know, takes the customs at you, uh, the taxes get much, and uh, when, um, the, you know, pandemic hit, you know, shipping costs went up. So, um, so it's really kind of crippled the hobby out this way. And you're seeing people just going, you know, it's, it's tough enough to get stuff out here. And then with the cost of everything, um, you know, people just wait till they go for a trip to the States and bring home a box of stuff there. But I mean, as a brick and mortar shops, I think there's three that I know of in Europe. And that's it. And there's none in the UK yet. Although uh, Tops have hinted that there might be something coming that way, or Fanatics has hinted there might be something coming away with, you know, they've had some success with the um, the London series, so they're hoping that maybe baseball will grow out this way. That surprises me a little bit. Is it just there's not sports card specific shops, or is there just not collectible shops like that in general? Because while baseball may not be huge in the UK at this point. England has a long history of tobacco cards and trade cards with, you know, cricket, historical figures, animals, movie stars, you know, all of that type of thing dating back to the early 1900s. You know, there's the the, the British tobacco cards that are out there. And, and so are people just not actively collecting any of that type of stuff? Or is it just not in that same marketplace, card shop type marketplace where that type of stuff changes hands? Yeah, there really is not the marketplace out there for it. So you would you you're probably more likely to have like a Magic the Gathering card shop and Pokemon shop, which there was a shop there, um, and then something went terribly wrong for them, and they owe like three million and they get liquidated. So I I don't know the full story there, but we were it was the one place that we can sell send our cards to get graded and it folded under there. Um, so uh, I don't know the story. I won't go to that, but um, yeah, it's just not a collector's market. You know, they'll, they'll get the uh, Panini sticker book and, you know, you get, you go buy your packs of stickers and you put them on there, but that's really about as far as they go there. So um, uh, my co-host Graham will probably know more about that, but you know, we, we talked about, uh, would, you know, you know, would it be possible to get a shop up here, go up and going? Would it, you know, be feasible? And uh, it's the market's just not there uh, unless you're doing kind of the high end NFL breaks and, and you can do it that way. But even then, you're still talking about a very limited market out that way um, for whatever reason. I, I think a lot of it has to do with storage. So uh, there's not a whole lot of storage out this way. <laughs> so, you know, you, you can't have boxes and boxes of cards laying around because there's just no place for it. Uh, you mentioned, you know, baseball is not super huge, but you also mentioned when you first moved, there was kind of an amateur team, you know, in, in your area, what's that baseball culture like, you know, you, you've got some amateur stuff going on. Um, there is the, the MLB games that are, you know, one or, or series, you know, a year or whatever it is right now that, that comes over to, to play. What's that baseball culture like in, in the UK right now? So the people that so have so I, I mean I went from playing to player manager to player manager to running the league for for a good ten plus years. Um, so like in Scotland, there are roughly a hundred people that play baseball there. I, that, that's wow. literally all I got. Uh, throughout the UK, there's probably close to twenty five hundred people that play, and you know you're looking at sixty million people out that way. I think if you put in softball, you're probably closer to say fifty thousand total no no sorry sorry 26,000 I was just doing funny math 26 30,000 there so um the London series has definitely brought some you know attention to baseball out there I did go to the original 2019 one the Yankees Red Sox one because I kind of thought well it's the first time there I should actually go to this game there um but the problem is the prices are just 
so high. So I paid roughly $450 to sit on the third base side, past the third base side, because I looked at it. It's like Oakland Coliseum. You know, that's the baseball field there. They just kind of jam this baseball field into a, a, a football stadium. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm looking at this and going, I'm not going to see anything if I buy anything cheap. So I, 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 I splurged and uh, we see, we sat behind a bunch of Yankee executives that had made the trick. There was, there was, there was, I think he was one of the accountants for Yankees and he had four world series rings on. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> um, and then the second game I sat behind the left field bullpen there and that was still 150 bucks. And that was the first roll behind the bullpen there. Um, and so for your average fan or who's new to the game, you're not going to spend that kind of money to go to a game there. It's it, so, you know, I think the cheapest tickets to go sit in, in like the upper deck, uh, I think they're roughly $60. So, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to see a game up there. And, and so I see what they're trying to do and they're really trying to grow the sport, but it also is priced out everybody. Like uh, everyone that's a baseball fan out here, I will literally, the tickets will, it won't even sell out. They'll, the tickets will go, really cheap the Friday before the game and everyone will pick up a cheap seat. And then what you do is you, you move up as close as possible because the ushers have no idea how a baseball game works. And so they don't stop you. So you can go buy a $60 ticket and then go sit in the first base side or third base side. Cause sure. you can look on StubHub and go, that ticket's still for sale. No one's sitting there. Yeah. And go sit in those seats there. So, um, you know, you can go sit in the nice seats that way. But uh, they, they're really trying to grow the game out here. It's a tough one because, you know, cricket is a much bigger play sport and, you know, soccer's king out here, you know. You, you, so, um, but the people that do play it, absolutely love it. You can't be a kind of a casual baseball fan, you know. You, you, you know, following the Mariners, my games start um, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, you know, on, on an early game. And so, yeah. you know, if you, Thursday night, you're lucky because the game starts, there'll be a noon game somewhere and we'll watch it at six o'clock in the afternoon. And yeah, Sundays and Saturdays and Sundays is the time you really can watch games. Otherwise, I'm looking at a, a two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning start to watch a baseball yeah. game. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's really hard being a West Coast fan. But, you know, the people that do it, you know, they love it. I mean, there's the guy that's a, a mad Angels fan who watches every game, regardless of the game starts at three o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night. So, <laughs> Are you actually able to watch or is it available streaming? You know, I, the MLB is notoriously terrible for the the blackout rules and the way that, you know, people are able to catch their favorite teams. What's that like for somebody being overseas? Do you can you see them via your TV provider or via streaming? So we have BT Sports that broadcast two games a week now. So they've signed a deal to show more games there. Um but everyone has MLB TV, so that's how most people fall out there. So uh, if I can watch a game, I usually will put a game on, you know. So that I became more of a baseball fan because of that, because on a Thursday at, say, 6 o'clock, well, it's, you know, Nationals versus Marlins. It's like, okay, well, it's baseball. I, I you know, I'm going to watch something because it's on at a decent time. So you end up uh, watching kind of any sort of game where I know on a Sunday I'll be able to catch a Mariners game at nine o'clock and be like, okay, I'm I'm in for that. And then, um, luckily with my workplace, I um I, I put the game on and watch it the next day. So I did that 
I think I watched about 100 games last year, so okay. <laughs> it was pretty hardcore. I thought I was going to be able to try to do the whole schedule, but I, I, I after Chicago, I was just worn out. That's that's awesome. Let's. You mentioned a couple times your podcast, Tea and Tops. Tell us a little bit about that. What was the inspiration behind that podcast? How long have you been doing it? Kind of what can people expect if they check out Tea and Tops? So yeah, it kind of started off when again with Project Twenty Twenty. So we kind of uh, built our thing, or as I was doing the card counts on there. So I, I figured out how Tops re- released the number of uh, card sales for that that way, um, and I was really into it. And and I was already podcasting, so I had there's still a podcast out. It's called the Ball Caps and Bagpipes, and it's about Scottish baseball. Um, if if you really really uh, want something niche, you can find out about Scottish baseball league and what happens every week there. But uh, I finally retired from that. It's been handed off to a couple of players that are still very involved in the game. And so I had Graham. I had, had said, well, you know, why don't we do a podcast here? You know, you you can you're keen on all the the new stuff out there and you're always following the releases and you're buying boxes and stuff like that. So why don't you cover that? I can cover the project 2020, project 70. And then if we talk about any kind of, you know, vintage cards, I at least have a knowledge about it and do that. And then really try to connect with the UK collectors and see who's out there and let them talk about their collections because, you know, everyone's got a varying collection. We have one, one guy, Glenn, who's originally from, uh, Michigan and he he's pretty hardcore set collector so he gets everything out that way and shipped out once a year um so he, he's kind of the the godfather of card collecting out that way because he's been out here since the early 90s and and still putting the sets together and and he was one of the guys that uh I, he couldn't make it to the national last year but he had gone two years ago and, and uh introduced me to his group of friends that he is out that way so, uh, so yeah, so we just kind of, we, we doing a live show. We found it was much easier to do a live show every kind of Monday night. And if people wanted to engage with us, that was great. And, um, you know, it was just, as you know, like editing can be time consuming at times. So <laughs> it was easier to just go, here's the intro, here's the exit show. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a really good way to meet, you know, the various people through the community. We, uh, most of the people are on a kind of a Facebook group out there. So we would go reach out to people to see if they want to talk about their collections and how they get started. Because I always found it fascinating that here is somebody in a small town in England and they've been collecting cards somehow. You know, usually it's a trip to the States and they bought a pack of cards. And, and that was their way of kind of staying involved with baseball because they were Again, probably nowhere close to a baseball team to go play or didn't have the athletic ability to play. So that was their kind of way of, of still being a fan and, and collecting the sets of their teams. Very, very cool. Um, is, you know, back to your collection, you know, as we kind of wrap things up, 2020 was your most recent focus, you know, Project 2020, Project 70. Is there any kind of kind of key card or uh, kind of something that's high on your want list that you're still trying to track down from, from either of those two releases or were you able to kind of already get what the, the primary focuses were for you? Uh, there is one card I'm absolutely dying to get. Uh, I know who has it, but the, the cost is way too much. So uh, when project 70 came out and Alex Pardee did his Brightmares one. So if you're, if you're not familiar with that, he kind of does these vivid nightmare cards there. Um, I think it was probably the second or third card. I, I, I tweeted Alex party, a picture of Dave Parker when he was wearing the hockey mask after he broke his jaw and, and kind of said, you know, Hey Alex, I, I, uh, I'm sure you probably have, you have your 20 players in mind. Um, if you, uh, 
if you haven't, you know, here's a good card. I think it will work really well. And heard nothing from it. Didn't think much about it. About four or five months into the project, he came out with a Dave Parker card and said, you know, credit due for the, this inspired me to do his card there, um, which was pretty cool that I got to inspire, you know, probably the most popular artist of that set to do a card for us. So there's a, a 101 card, and I know who has it, but it, I, I don't think it's going to leave its hands of, unless it's a large sum of money so I can get that there. So, But I, I do know who has it if I ever need that there. So uh, I, if I if I ever get the uh, win the lottery, I can go and buy that from him and get that 101 Dave Parker card for me. So. <laughs> Very cool. Well, hey, I really appreciate you spending a few minutes kind of enlightening us on what it's like to try and collect cards over there in Scotland and what it's like to be a baseball fan over there. So I, I really appreciate you spending a little bit of time before we go, let people know if they want to, to follow along with your collecting journey, or they want to check out the show, where can, can people go to find you? Yep. You can find us on, on social media there. We're just T and tops. You can, if you do a search for us, you'll find us up there. Um, yeah, we're looking to bring the live show up once spring, ta- spring, uh, spring train starts up again and, and people are kind of getting back into the, the long, um, winter being over and getting oh yes uh, baseball season's coming out there and, and everything kicks off for the, the new series of baseball cards but yeah uh tea and tops we usually do it i don't know what time we'll be doing it this time but you know if you're if you're at work you can always jump in we we know we have quite a few people in the u.s who like to engage with us and say hi when we're doing the live show um so yeah we'll we'll be back there soon but yeah uh look out for us the next sometime in february and we'll we'll kick off back again sounds good thanks again jason no problem mike thanks for having me on Before the conversation, I'm not sure that I had a full appreciation of what it would be like to be across the ocean trying to follow my favorite team when they're playing hours and hours and hours behind where I am and what it would be like to try to collect cards when we don't have the same level of distribution and we've got international import duties and extra shipping charges and all of the things that come with with buying cards in today's environment especially when we don't have physical shops to go to it would be something else so i appreciate jason coming on sharing a little bit about what it's like collecting cards overseas in europe well that is all i have for you today i'll catch you next time